Robinson on. He's and it's goal of the season, Frank Most people would say I was mad. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. As ever, joining me, Ian DL, a man with computer skills more inexplicable than the attendance figures published by Stan Flashman in the early 90s. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Very good. I'm always worried about what you're going to come up with next, but uh, yeah, that's that's a good one. Thank you very much. Hello. And alongside him, a big blonde legend of Underhill. Nope, it's not Sir Nicholas Evans. We're recording this one on St George's Day, and we've got our very own Knight of the Realm. So drinks a lot. It's Mr. Craig Clayton. <laughs> well, we're doing that. That's real, is it? We're doing that for real, are we? All right, fair enough. Okay. Gauntlet has been laid down. <laughs> So the reputation's uh, well, <laughs> there you go. Exactly, it's out there now. And, well, we're recording late doors on a Friday night, but our guest is enjoying a Saturday morning coffee the following day on the other side of the world. All the way from New Zealand, we're joined by a man who, when it comes to Barnet, can near enough say he's seen it all. The Flashman years, the Fry Sackins, promotion to the Football League, playoff heartbreak, promotion to the third tier at the second attempt, not being paid, the club on the brink, much madness I've probably missed out there too. We're looking forward to a bit of an education on this one from a proper Barnet man from the club's finest and darkest hours. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Cooper. Thanks very much, guys. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. Interesting times. Um, maybe, like you say, you guys just missed out on those years, but uh, we had some fun. It, it was a fantastic build-up to the whole promotion to the Football League. It was brilliant. Yeah, so I mean, we mentioned off air just before we started that a lot of these that we've done started from about 95 onwards. And I think um, that was pretty much our era. So this one is, is just a little bit before. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and so quite interesting for us. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, your own personal lead up to joining Barnet Football Club. OK, I, I um, my career, I played... I was playing in, in um, I think it was the Southern or East Midland League for Borgner Regis Town. And um, I played over 400 games for them. And I, I started my football career quite late. I actually signed for Brighton when I was 26. All right. So I came from Brighton to, to Barnet. And um, I had two years at Brighton. I signed as a professional at Brighton. And I, and I, to be honest, I hated every minute of it. It was one of those clubs where, as a youngster, I always wanted to be a professional footballer. And I ended up signing for Brighton um, halfway through the 87-89 season, I think. And we actually got promoted that year. But to find, find yourself, you know, playing every week to being part of a team, well, you have, there was megastars. There's the likes of Alan Kirbysley, you know, Steve Getting. You had Gary Nielsen, Kevin Bremner, uh, Steve Penny, Irish internationals. You're playing them in a team that, you know, you've got to fight every week for your place. Um, one thing I will say, though, the Reserve League was fantastic. We were in the Combination League, I think, where we were playing every, every week. We are playing lots of Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, West Ham. You know, fantastic grounds. I remember the first, first time I walked out into Highbury was, pre, was the first game of the season at Highbury. Um, although the stadium was empty, oh, my word, what a stadium. The pitch was like a carpet, you know, and it just, things, just experiences like that. And the players you played against as well. So that led me in good stead. And, and I had my two years at Barnet and things didn't work out. They didn't renew my contract. 
So I was back thinking, oh, I'm going to go back to non-league football. And, but then um, <clears throat> I had offers from the likes of Crew uh, and even, <laughs> even Ireland in Cork City. But I didn't want to... Uh, I didn't want to move north, <laughs> <laughs> north of Watford. Although I did end up in uh, London Colney, funny enough. But um, no, so I, and, and then the funny thing was we were playing a reserve game against Southampton one night uh, at Brighton uh, at the Goldstone ground. So we were playing a reserve game and my brothers always used to come and watch the play. And when I got uh, into the players now, he, says, uh, he come up to me and he said, uh, so I don't know what's wrong. He said, there's this bloke sitting next to me. And this is the first experience with Barry Fry. My brother said, you know, he said, there's this bloke there. And, and he was sitting with Chris Turner, I think. Remember Chris Turner? Yeah, yeah. so many questions about Barry Fry and I think we will but for us as well again because it's not quite our era what kind of a football club was was Barnet when you first turned up? It was you know when you when you walk into the ground that the typical ground amongst the houses um, it wasn't you know coming from the Goldstone ground to to there it was tiny but um, 
you could sense the atmosphere. You know, you walk into the dressing rooms. It's those old-style brick dressing rooms, you know, tight, massive baths, you know, that you can get everyone in after a game. It was just the perfect sort of scenario. It was just a football club. It had football written all over it. You could sense the history of the club. And was it, you know, was it well supported at that time? Um, I think it wasn't too bad. We were getting sort of around the 2,750 mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed you mentioned the, uh, in, the, in the build-up to the Sam Flashman figures. And I'll, and I'll, I'll allude to the Burnley game. <laughs> 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 but but uh, no, we were getting decent crowds. Decent, and they were passionate as well. Everyone, you could sense that. I mean, I remember when I first joined it because that part, the fast, is it the Western Road site? Yeah, yeah, the fast side. Um, oh god, I used to have someone running up and down, following me up and down the pitch. <laughs> Cooper, get, get your, get your, you know, get the ball, do this. And it just, it was brilliant. But you could sense the passion. It was great. It sounds, it sounds like Steve Percy somehow. He must, yeah, it, 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 could, have, like... <laughs> it, it could have been the silver pot. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's that's the one. That's the one, definitely. Um, you know, obviously, you said Barry Fry brought you to the club. Sam Flashman was already there, I believe. He bought the club by that point. And, you know, you said the support was quite good by the end of the 80s. But I know, sort of, as recent to that time as the mid 80s, there were a few hundred people watching Barnet. The club was already kind of going through maybe a bit of a transition from being a sort of also ran at that level to, to one yeah, of I the think major the year forces. Before I joined, just missed out on promotion as well then, I think, had you? Just um, that year, I think maybe finish second or third again. Yeah. So, so obviously coming back to when you joined the club and obviously Barry Fry sort of sold it to you and you've had your meeting with a topless Barry outside a pub in, in Bognor Regis. Um, what role, or if any, was, was Stan Flashman playing in that? What, what, you know, when did you first meet Stan Flashman and, and what was he like to effectively be an employee for? Stan, I think, you know, my experience of Stan, he was, he, he was, a, he was a lovely guy. <laughs> But he had another side. He had a dark side. Um, I don't know who he thought he was, you know. It, you know I mean, you, you couldn't imagine him doing anything but talking because he was huge, you know, and without being disrespectful, you know, he couldn't fight anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he was, he was, I suppose it was through his connections. He, he had, you know, it, it, was, oh, it was almost like a, a crazy thing, you know what I mean? It's like you were scared of him because of probably who he knew and what maybe he could do. But in general, he was a decent man. He was fine. It was just, you know, um, I think something happened. He'd seen the dream and the dream was coming alive. But maybe he, the dream had outgrown him, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Didn't like, he didn't like to see that. He wanted to be in control. And, you know, with everything going on, once you get to those levels, then the football league come in and start dictating what you've got to do and of course this has been Stan and, and Barry's club for years or I'm not doing that I'm not doing that but you can't fight people at that level you can't do that and I think it was just wore him down and he just lost the plot but <laughs> yeah I mean quite, I was gonna say just I'm quite interested in that dynamic because uh, so it's it's kind of almost mythical and legendary for us this kind of era of time and um you know we hear all the stories about it and it's what I'm trying to piece together is kind of a, a an image of when you've got Stan with his personality the way he is, Barry with him and all the things you know about Barry, the club as it was, did it feel like something that was about to become quite special or... Uh, oh, look, I, I used to travel up because I lived down in Bogdai. I used to travel up 
training. We weren't full-time then. We were training two or three nights a week. And if, even on a Thursday, you know, Stan, he, you know, this, this is the other side of him. But, you know, he'd come to the club and we'd have a drink in the bar afterwards and come up. Who wants Luca Vandross tickets? Who wants to go and see Diana Ross or whatever? And he'd dish them out to you. And you go, oh, I have some Stan. But the thing is, you, you, you look at your wage packet and it's like, he's deducted the, the tickets <laughs> out. <you know? laughs> so, um, but, but on, on the other side of things, he'd come up and have a chat. He said, how's it going? Great. He said, are you, are you traveling back with the forge? You know, we've got a big game on Saturday. I said, yeah. He said, look, don't worry. He said, go and stay at the Terra New Hotel. You remember the one in, um, do you remember the Terra New Hotel? No, whereabouts was no. that? You go out past the Orange Street. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, I can't remember the name of the road, but it was a, a country club hotel. Yeah, okay. And I yeah. remember once, um, and it, it was immaculate, fantastic place, and uh, he just put me up there. You know, we'll pay for it, you know, just make sure you're ready for the game on Saturday. Oh, was it, was he one of these people, one of these people who just had that kind of switch then, I imagine? Because, I mean, I mean I, you know, a yeah. few years ago, I'm reading Barry Fry's book, and uh, he talks about the number of times where, you know, the dressing room door flies open, and it's half time and he's trying to give you a team talk and Stan Flashman, the chairman's in there. I mean, with what kind of regularity did that happen? And, and I suppose as well, obviously Barry Fry's the manager, that's who you're taking your instructions from. What effect did it have on the players, the chairman coming in the door, calling the manager this, that, the other, digging people out and yeah, so on? We, we, as players, you know, obviously we all respected Stan, but we had a major respect for Barry. And we we're all players who played and we knew it's, it's not the only club it happens at. You know, you get other chairmen from other clubs in. It's actually, you know, not as bad, but, you know, you become hardened to it. And at the end of the day, you just got to focus on what Barry's saying. You know, if Stan came in and we just all sit back and go, oh, who's going to get in? <laughs> you know, sit back, sit in and go, oh, okay, Stan, okay, Stan, you know, let him have his rent and he'd go. You know, and, and that's the way it was. When, when it comes to Barry, um, I imagine that must be a question you get asked. What was it like playing for Barry Fry and whatever else? Is there a story you tell about, you know, if you try and explain what it was like playing for Barry or working with Barry? Oh, look, he, um, he, he, I was thinking about this and he's like a little kid. On match day, he was like a little, you, you can almost imagine waking up on a match day going, oh, it's match day, it's match day. <laughs> and, and the whole, that whole Saturday, is that, that's what it was like. That's what it's, I know, like, like you, you guys, and I don't, no, not that clear, sorry. But, no, 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 please do. <laughs> But, you know, his whole life, you know, fucking do this, fucking do that. But it, it, it was absolutely love. It was, he loved every single one of us. Do you know what I mean? And, and his passion was second to none. And it, and it filtered through the boys and you wanted to play for him. You know, you could, you could sit, oh, this is great. This is brilliant. And he made, he made you know, he, 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 you know let's, you're playing against good opposition. But he'd come in and say, you guys, you're all better than those boys in there. And it really, really lifts you up. You know, he was never really negative at all. You know, and you know, a story you can say about Barry, we all have bad games and you walk in a dressing room and go, Cooper, you're fucking shit, you're this, you're that, you're this, and and you're never gonna play for this fucking club again. And then you walk out after the game and he's talking to the press and then you know, you say you'd hear him say, Well, you know, what do you think about Jeff Cooper? And he goes, Great player, he's really good. <laughs> so I mean so he backed you all the way. You know, what went on in the dressing room stayed in there with Barry. Yeah. You know, he was that. He was a players' manager. He he was brilliant. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of the um, you know we've obviously made a lot of friends through Barnet Football Club over the years, and a lot of them have spoken about 
who were around in that era, I've spoken about the brand of football that Barry Fry brought to uh, Barnet Football Club and to, and to Underhill. Um, you know, that first season while you're at the club, we came second again. Um, but everyone talks about the goals, free-flowing football and everything and the quality of the players that were in that squad at the time. I just wonder what it was like from a footballing perspective for you as well in terms of playing in a team like that that was so good at that level. Yeah, and that was it. We were, you know, without being big-headed, I think we were two leagues above where we played. But you know what it's like? It's hot. You've got 40-odd games. You've got to get out of that league and you've got to be consistent all the way through. And we got better and better. You know, the thing was, I used to love playing because the speed we played at. I mean, and again, I was thinking about this other day. You can almost imagine your position trying to set up how they're going to play against us. And I can, all I can imagine was, well, how many are we going to lose by today? Do you know what I mean? Because you could, you could see it in them. You could see the opposition actually going, oh, my God, look at this team they've got out. It was, you know, and I think it, as a credit to Barry and, and Barnett, we were, we were like a Rolls Royce of non-league football. You know, the Man United of non-league football. You can sense the opposition. You can sense the fear in the opposition. Who were the real good players? Who, who, the were the real, really good, who were the really good players? Um, I don't, again, I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, you've got the likes of... Um, <clears throat> we always had a good goalkeeper, Andy Pate, Gary Phillips. Um, uh, um, Peter Guffey never really played. Um, but we always had good goalies. You know, you'd like to Paul Wilson. Again, Barnett through and through. I mean, that, 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 that fellow would die for the club. You know, and he's another one. He'd, he'd, if you're having a, a bad game, you'd walk in the dressing room, punch you in the back and go, get your, get your finger out, get in, you know, we're going to win this game. And that's what everyone would like. You know, down like Mick Bodley. Mick Bodley was a class player. Um, then you've got, um, obviously, Andy Clark, yeah. Frank Murphy, Gary Ball. Um, Gary Paul, there's just it's, it's just endless. It was really Kevin Durham, you know, God bless him. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just endless. Harry Willis. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't put my finger on. You know, Gary Ball. You know, at, at any other club, I mean, that that fellow had his feet firmly planted on the ground. He could have, you know, Gary Ball, I'm scoring hundreds of thousands of goals. But what, what a nice bloke! What an absolute legend! And again, we used to go to. Um, you know, when I was at Brighton, we used to go away to hotels on a Friday night and you'd have to be in bed by six o'clock, have your meal, go to go in your room. And you're sitting in your room. And again, it comes back to base, right? You know, sitting in your room all night. And then I remember our pre-season day, we went up to Staffordshire. I think we were playing Leicester City or somewhere on a pre-season friendly. We went to this hotel and it's the first time we'd all got together. So he got us in the lounge of this hotel. And uh, we knew that there was a nightclub at the bottom of the ho- underneath the hotel. And it was a lovely country hotel, but there was a nightclub at the bottom. So we got, he's got us all in the lobby after our dinner. And he's come down and he's gone, right, you lot, you know, this is the team we're putting together this year. We're going for it this year. And, you know, this is our pre-season. And then he walked out and he went, and he said, before I leave, he said, and if I see any of you back in your rooms before 6.30 in the morning, <laughs> you're not playing. <laughs> you know I mean? And the thing was, we used to go to, and you hear about all these teams, you know, how rigid they were. And it, it, it is as you go higher, don't get this wrong. But this is how Barnet worked. You know, we'd go out to, um, on a Friday night, we'd go out to a nightclub. Because if you think about it, you, you're sitting in your hotel room, you're getting tense for the game, you can't sleep because you're overthinking everything. 
But if you're allowed to go out for drinks, you come back about 11 o'clock, you have some sandwiches in the hotel, you go to bed, get up the next day, fine. Uh, but anyone who went out, you know, basically we knew the team the next day. So let's say, for example, um, or he didn't name the team. You know, I remember Paley once ringing, we're in a nightclub, um, uh, in a, and Paley ringing up Barry, and going, Barry, Barry, am I playing tomorrow or what? Because I want to have a beer. <laughs> so, but what happened was, you know, those boys that were playing would never drink. You know, and everyone would look out for each other. And, you know, like, hey, come on, Greg, you're playing tomorrow. You, you put that, you know, yeah, that's yeah. the way we were. That's we're why it really didn't work tight. out for me. <laughs> uh, another thing was, you know, we'd do, every often, every now and again, we'd go out and, and we hardly ever lost. But when we did lose, Barry would come in and just read the right, right, right that's it, you fuckers, you're never going out again on a Friday night. But it would only last till Thursday and then. <laughs> <laughs> but you know yeah, what I mean? That's the that's the unit we were. And I've got to say, I don't think I've played in a better team. It was brilliant. Well, I think it sounds like as well that a lot of that comes from like the love for Barry, that, you know, you, you go out, but then, yeah, they're pushing the boundaries by being out on a Friday night, but the, the ones that are playing are not drink. You know, the fact there was that line, but however yeah. past the normal acceptable line it would be in most people's eyes, you're out on a Friday, but the ones who know they're playing are not drinking, the ones who are having a good time, like, and that, that togetherness, like, I think... A, but a but lot, even a the last even the lads that are injured, they were sitting there like sitting, drinking Coke or whatever. And we were like, oh, look, you're injured, not playing. Go and enjoy yourself, have a beer. So everyone was looking out for each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that, that's yeah, what togetherness, right. that togetherness is probably yeah. worth another 10 points in a season at least, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah. away from all, everything yeah. else you do. I mean, I was going to ask him about coaching and tactics and stuff because Barry Fry is famous for maybe not being the greatest, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, maybe not the greatest coach or tactician perhaps, but motivator and everything like that. I mean, I just wonder if you could give us a bit of an insight onto what training under Barry Fry was like and was it all just we're going to practice scoring no. more goals than the other team or, or was it ever rigid? I mean, Barry, Barry, think? Barry very rarely took the sessions. Edwin Steen did it all. Eddie. Ed was, main, was basically the coach. Barry was the manager. And it was just relayed through each other. I mean, they're both just as passionate. I mean, the only reason the boys ran so much is so they didn't have to listen to Ed talking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't shut up. But, you know, Ed, Ed was as fit as a butcher's dog and he wanted everyone else to be the same and he just pushed everyone to the limit and we had a great respect for him as well you know he he did a great job getting everyone together when we went full time i think we actually trained at where where the hive is now okay that was our training ground because it's the railway runs along the back isn't it yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long old journey is there, is there a school down the bottom end there's a, a lot yeah of, cannons park yeah yeah i don't yeah but that, that was our training ground that's well, so, uh, what, what go, yeah, exactly. What goes around comes around, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, Edwin. Edwin took all the trains, and, and 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 literally, it was right. You know, we'd do shoot, we'd do shooting, but we were very fit. We were a very fit, organised side. Yeah, it, trusted it, each other. Everyone did the job. It's, it's it's a really interesting conversation, I think, because you, you're you're describing something that happened about thirty years ago or so, but it's it feels like a completely different era. For football in the sense of you know the, the you know, nights out for the game or what have you um one thing i'm really interested to talk about is your relationship with the supporters at the time because you know barnet fans of the era um you know really talk fondly about that squad not only in the in terms of their ability on the pitch but their uh you know willingness to get involved off the pitch and 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 go for a drink with the fans after the games and stuff what was your relationship like with the supporters alongside the rest of that squad at that time? Oh, listen, I was 
uh, 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 you know, remember, remember Dusty? He was he used to work in the club shop, didn't he? That's why I think it was Pavarotti, basically. <laughs> yeah, Pavarotti. Um, club shop was and, on the East Terrace at the time. It used to be in the back of the East Terrace. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Nick Mullins. I recognise that. They're all a group of lads, but I remember after the game, we used to go into the the old club before the Durham suite was built. And um, the supporters used, some supporters used to come in there. And, and I, knew, I knew the, the ladies behind who worked at the bar, I know Joyce and, you know, Joyce and Helena, Alina, Gary Phillips' cousins, sort of thing. Everyone, anyway, we all knew, knew each other from behind the bar. And I remember after the game, there was a couple of uh, table full of supporters, and I don't think I've really met them before. And we were having a chat, and they said, Oh, look, yeah, we've got to go now. I said, Well, why is that? I said, Oh, we've had a few beers, it's costing a bit of money. I said, Don't worry about it. So I just went behind the bar and just gave, gave them all free beers all night. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what the club was all about. It was, it was really, really friendly. It was a really good The supporters were great. You know, um, um, I don't know if you know, um, the Hoopers. Do you know Marcus Hooper? Oh yeah, I, he um, he uh, he runs and Victoria it, and, and yeah, I know them. Marcus, uh, he runs at my old running club. I know him. So that 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 Vanessa's and Victoria's brother, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I still keep in contact with, with them. Oh, that's interesting. I'll give them a, they, they always used to be every time behind the goal. They're always like just to the right of the goal. I remember leaving them tickets wherever we went to Carlisle or whatever. You know, I'll, I'll give him a, yeah. I'll give him a nudge about that next time I see him. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're, you know, they every now and again keep in touch. Them, I keep in touch with a few of the players still. It's um, you know, it well, this 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 is this enables us to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we spoke. We spoke to one supporter who's just recently uh, written a book about that era, those times. Um, Dan Whiting. It's uh, it's called Barnet Affair. He he'll appreciate the additional plug. Um, he's he's written a story in there about uh, I think it's a trip to Barrow, and supposedly uh, one of the players, yourself, Jeff, uh, offered to drive the minibus up there at one point for some reason. I wonder if you, yeah, if, um, if, if, if you can uh, tell us a bit I more think about I that story. Be, I'm, I, 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 it's very vague. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I just basically that's the way it was. We're all travelling up together, so um, I said, "Well, I'm not playing. I think I was injured." You know, I, I drive the minibus. I don't think they could. For some reason, I don't know why they can get a driver. I said, oh, I'll take you." They were too drunk, probably. <laughs> well, there is that. I mean, I mean, I always remember they used to, every, every time we played around the Manchester area, they always used to talk in the Boddington place. You know that. You know, we were playing around there. You get. The, you know, the supporters, the regular love guys, they just make a day of it and go to Boddington. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I can imagine that. that. Sounds about right for them, for sure. But no, it was a real close knit club. And like to say, um, yeah, one thing Barry made us do was respect the crowd, you know, respect who's paid the money to come in. And even one day, I remember there was snow on the ground and everyone shoving, you know, getting there early, shoving snow off the pitch. That's just the way it was. Feels like we've got quite a good picture of how it was um, at that point, which sort of leads us neatly into that first promotion season, I think. Um, from our records, I think towards the end of that season, you don't feature a lot. And I don't know if that's because of injury or others, or our records are bad. It could be any one of those things. No, but I, 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 from the promotion season, I've, again, funny enough, we're playing Barrow away. And I played, I think I played every, every game up to then. And then 
Andy McDade, who was the physio then, just took me off. And uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, you're not running. You're not going anywhere. And I didn't feel anything at the time. Oh, I did. I didn't feel right. And from there, I discovered I had a real, like a major um, deep-seated injury. Right. And I was out for the rest of the season. Basically, didn't play another game for the rest of the season. And it was one of those injuries that you don't feel anything, but afterwards, I'd had treatment and stuff, and you go out and kick a ball, it's like someone stabbing you in the stomach. So you couldn't, you couldn't play. It was, just, it was frustrating because you, you could run, but you couldn't do certain, like kick a ball or, or yeah, it was, it was frustrating as. And to see the boys get promoted was really frustrating. I'm going to say, so what was your recollection of that sort of, well, that season generally, but after the injury, feeding into it? Because it was such a big, it still is a massive moment in the club's history. Um, oh, look, we, were, we were never... Left, I was never left out. Well, I mean, there's pictures of me in the dressing room, and I was, I was always part of the squad. It was not you're injured, you're left out. Go, you know, it, it was everyone, everyone together. And I don't think I went home for two days after that Fisher game. <laughs> I think we went, we all went out to a nightclub somewhere. Is it the Belfry in St Albans, the golf course there? Oh, um, Batchwood. What? So Batchwood. In, yeah, in so, yeah, so and then yeah, then we say that we say I think we end up crashing itself in hotel. <laughs> so yeah, Wait. So, the whole the whole build up was fantastic. And I've got to say, and I will say this, and I've I've watched the Fisher game playing up about a month ago. How nervous we were because we went behind twice, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. Uh, but, but they showed the characters. And I, and I think it showed the quality because we just kept playing the same, the same, the same. And then just wore Fisher down in the end. I think 4-2 four, 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 in the end. Yeah, 4-2. It's, it's, it's an incredible one because it's, you know, it was, again, it's it's very hard to put yourself in that situation given we weren't there. But you, you, you look at it and you look at the record of Barnet having finished second for three of the four years before. And the end of that season was incredible in the sense that you had three or four teams up the top of the league, Altrigham, Colchester, Kettering, I think, who all conspired to throw it away. Um, and, and, well, that was the and, conference. And, 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 I mean, um, uh, the conference, when it, because of the you know, uh, postponements during the season, you end up playing something like, I don't know, uh, nine games in 11 days or something silly. Just so to get Tuesday, Thursday, play. Saturday, Monday, that kind and of thing. Yeah. And that's right. Yeah, and that's right. Because I, I've also won the league with Wickham. Sorry, boys, but <laughs> um, but we did the same thing, and it, you know there was the same thing. I think I can't remember who it was, but it was all down to those last eleven games, basically. You know, I remember we played at you know one was at Wickham. I played on the Saturday at um, Adams Park, and on the Sunday we flew up and played Gateshead. <laughs> so we played two days on the trot, and that, that's the league made to do that. And you know, that was the farce of that level. You know, to, and that makes it even more special the way that we actually hung in there and, and, and got the, the, the victory, you know, the promotion. That's when I think there was a real chasm between the conference and the Football League, like the difference in, you know, non-league to, to Football League. It's narrowed certainly in recent times, but it was very different then. I mean, if you go back to the, the, the Fisher game itself, I mean, were you there on the on the terrace with the fans? Were you, what, what, what are your memories of the day itself being in the ground? I was actually... Was I standing up in the corner? Was there a bar in the corner or something? Was I on the terrace up? Oh, there's, there's this thing. Or something? Yeah, 
And I think yeah. I was up there with Hacken or someone like that. I can't remember who it was with. But no, we're all, it was all part of the day. The dressing room after was just, just chaotic. It was just brilliant. And to see Barry run across the pitch the way he did, you know, and hug Stan, and it was just brilliant. The whole, you know, <clears throat> the nerves were there, don't get me wrong. The boys were like, first time maybe I saw us doubt ourselves. You know, we had to win because I think, I can't remember, was it Colchester or whoever was pushing us? Colchester uh, were the ones, Colchester were, Colchester were the ones in the mix at the very yeah, end. I, yeah. I, don't even, I don't even think a draw was good enough, was it? We had to win. I got. I, you left it well, I think I, we, I, it, it, yeah, it was a bit tight, however it was. And then to go behind twice, um, that's when everyone was like, uh, I, I think that's when you saw the quality of the team. They're like, you could actually see them go. I think when that second goal went in, you could see the boys going, right, this is it, we've had enough. I mean, the pitch was shocking. The game was in doubt whether it was going to be played. Um, I think it rained all week that week. And... Um, yeah, the pitch is in a shocking state. You couldn't play football. And if you watch the video, just, the ball's just bouncing everywhere. Um, but when they got that second goal, you can actually see the boys go, right, that's it. We're going to do it. We've had enough now. We've played enough. Get on and do it. And they did the job. The last 20 minutes, I don't think we should have got a look in. One of the things that people yeah. talk about for that era of football a lot, especially when we talk about non-league and league football, is that um, there are a lot of benefits for some very, very good players to play part-time football because they could work at the same time and, and get a better salary than if they were playing in some of those lower leagues. Were, were we part-time at that point? And was there a big mo moment when we moved into the Football League and did it change things for, for you and others? Yeah, I think we were, we were almost full-time. It was basically three or four nights. We, we made a decision. It wasn't about money and what you're getting paid. It was about getting promoted. Yeah, and we did have jobs and stuff like that, but it didn't affect us. And then the next season, we went, we went full-time. Um, but, yeah, we weren't much different, to be honest. It was, you know, yeah, like I say, when I, when, I played, when I signed for Brighton full-time, I was very disappointed with the training. I mean, I've got a big club, everything. But it was very disappointing. It was, it was basically everyone, you know, because you're a player, you know what to do. There wasn't as much coaching and stuff as I thought there would be. And I thought, you know, Barnett helped me brilliantly. It brought my game on fantastically. Let you play. It was fantastic. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we, you know, obviously the, the dream of promotion has been achieved um, in, in that season. And finally, we're in the Football League. And then we go full time and, you know, things become a little bit more professional. Um, but then Barnett 4, Crew 7 and Barnet 5, Brentford 5 are the first two games that Barnet have as a, Fully fledged football league club. Just how more how more Barnet could it possibly be than to have twenty one goals scored in the first two games for and against? It's just <laughs> that, that that's just nonsense, isn't it? Really. That 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 was that was football. I mean, it was a good. I I mean, it was good for us. It, it, I think we still got promoted that year, didn't we? Uh, it was it's season, a it was, we got some playoffs that season. Yeah, in the playoffs. season after. It just goes to show that you know all of a sudden we had to then adapt to another level we had to you know we went through that phase and that's what that was to, to realize that yes we are good enough but we've got to step up and that and that's where those first three months of that season came into it you know and and the boys did step up like say they made the playoffs it was it was brilliant i mean um, i mean again and, I, and sorry and that's where you saw the sam flashman side start you know hang on set barnet are losing what's going on here you know, and that's when he started to get a bit twitchy. 
because he wasn't used to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just l- looking again at the stats from that time, so I know, you know, you're one of the, the privileged 11 who started against Crew on the first day of that season. Um, I was actually before... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, before we move on to that, I mean, what what, what was that day like as a, an experience for you? Because I suppose as someone who was part of the journey for a, a couple of years to get us into the league, you know, I've only got sort of photos I've seen of the day and Underhill looks packed and the sun's shining and everything else. What, what was that day like, that first Football League day, apart from the fast call end result uh, as an experience for a player? Oh, the, the whole day. I mean, you, you've got to take it. It wasn't really farcical. It's just the way the way it was. It was an eye opener. I mean, crew at the end of the day, they had some great players that went on to do some, you know, good things. It, was it right back then on play for Liverpool and you know a few of the other players. Yeah. That's it, yeah. So they, they, they had a great side and we can't at the end of the day you've got to give credit in football. Um and they did it, you know, they they played the way we wanted to. But they had done it longer than we had. You can understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you could play the way you wanted to play, like Crew, because Crew were always a football inside, um, and it just happened on the day. And, and but then again, we still scored four. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. It just is just us being naive in the football league. You know, we went one nil up, and then we thought, yeah, that's it, we're done. <laughs> and then again, you could see Crew go, okay, boys, we've had your fun, and. But the whole day was just um, was amazing. Even though the result at the end of the day, it was it was it was a big day for the club, and to see so many people there, and like you say, the you know the weather put on the show, it was fantastic. To to actually, you know, to think next, okay, we're playing Brentford on the Tuesday. Just the whole, I mean, we've gone from there to there. It was just amazing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose yeah, and, you know you said about the, the big day for the club, and and so many people there, and I guess in that era. Before, after, around that time, you know, there's several days like that. You know, the season before we had Portsmouth in the FA Cup, where we got quite a heavy result against us. But you know, I know that that sort of famous, you know, there's a big crowd turning up. I think later in the season we're talking about against Crew. There was the Burnley game, which you mentioned earlier, around the time Blackpool and things like that. You know, we've got very fond memories of Underhill in our time. Uh, I think Underhill then was probably quite a different place and probably arguably the best Underhill that it ever was, with the kind of numbers coming through the gates. What was it like playing? At, at the ground when it was full to capacity and then some, you know, what are your memories of, of, of a really packed under? Um, oh, it, the atmosphere was, was great. I mean, I've always said with football, when, when you're playing a game of football, there's a thousand there or a hundred thousand there. As a player, once you get in the game, you don't notice they're there. It's only when the game stops, you notice the crowd. Um, but to walk out, as you come out of that tunnel under Hill, you know, that, he stands full up and you look left and you look right and then you turn around. It's, I mean, it was fantastic. Again, with, you know, with, with the four and a half thousand at Burnley. Was also... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was people on each other's shoulders. It was that, <laughs> that and even the Portsmouth game, you know, that, uh, that was another game that should never have gone ahead. But because all the crowd were in, Stan Flaston had to got his money. He's not going to give that back because <laughs> I think the referee would have called the game off. But the, 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 the impact of Underhill, you know, to be that in that location where it was, or in the houses, and also with the slope as well, it made it, made it feel as if everyone was on top of you looking down at you. It was, it was an awesome place to play. And, and also, the, you know, I think Colin Payne was the groundsman. Uh, so the pitch was in superb condition. Pitches uh, generally today are different to how pitches were generally then. 
Um, yeah. But slopes were still quite unusual, and you know, and that was one of the, the, the big things. What was your um, having played at places, you know, Brighton and, and Highbury yeah, Brighton, as well? Yeah. What yeah. was your um, what, what? How did how did you kind of? Was the slope just a, was it a tactical thing that was used, or was it just that's just the where we're playing? That's how it is. What is it they say? If you if you took a goal kick at the top end and it didn't leave the ground technically, it would still go over the crossbar at the other end. <laughs> <isn't> it? <laughs> It's about right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it only made a difference when it was muddy. Yeah. You know, it was, you, then you noticed, you know, trudging up that hill was quite a... The only thing I didn't like about Underhill was how, how tight it was to take a corner. <laughs> you know, you had basically two, two steps to take the kick. And, oh, <laughs> yeah. That was quite tight. But the rest of the time, the pitch was, was a match. And you didn't really notice the slope. It was the opposition that noticed the slope more than we did. Things on the field clearly were going very well still. Even like after those, I suppose the humbling against Crew, and then you know we managed to turn it around and actually get to the playoffs that first season, and then the following season we got promoted. But you know off the field there were I think some rumblings of things starting to uh, maybe unravel a little bit with with Stan Flashman. Um, at what point do you think it started to? Did the players start to notice that something was going on behind the scenes with Stan uh, and, and Barry and all the stories that we've heard about clashes and, and, and infighting between those two, as well as you know threats coming from the chairman about uh, you know nailing people to doors and everything else. <laughs> oh, look, you know, there's some funny stories. I mean, obviously we noticed when we didn't get paid. Simple as that. All of a sudden, Stan said, "Well, we haven't got any money. We can't pay." And we're like, "Well, how come? You've got all these people coming through the gates. Where's the money going?" And that's always a mystery we don't know even to the point i don't know if you guys saw that where we marched to his house yeah you know we that was on that, that there was that there was that london program wasn't yeah, there that london, it's, london, it's, london, it's on you yeah. on youtube it's a really good watch yeah so we even marched to his house but you know and and, and like you say during those days i mean i was going back and forth because i'm loan to wickham um but then i come back and and, and you know you're being on the training ground and very Barry get a phone call, right? And he'd be looking at you and you'd know that it's like, and then, and then he'd come over to you and say, was that Stan? He'd go, yeah. So what's going on now? He doesn't want you here. You can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and Barry's like, just, just ignore him. Just ignore him. You know what I mean? Because Barry loves us all. He said, just ignore him. And, and, and like I say, one day, he said, you know, Mickey Bodley, Mickey Bodley. I know what Mickey had said. I think about, obviously, dared to say something about us not getting paid. And Stan just picked him out and said, basically, Mickey Bodley, I'm going to send the boys down to the training ground and they're just going to kneecap you or something. Like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, laugh- it was laughable. But it certainly in, in the corner of mine as the car turned up in the training ground, she said, oh, God, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he never went through with any of his threats. He was just, that was just Stan. He just, um, you know, I still talk to Mark Fashion today. No, he's... Um, He's a good lad. I mean, you know, I'll go to Blackpool. We, we played Blackpool. Remember Blackpool in the playoffs? The way? Yeah. We weren't there, no, but heard a lot about it. So we went up to Blackpool. We, we, we won the first game 1 0. We should have won about 6 or 7. Um, and we lost the replay 2 0. And, and we'd been in Blackpool for two days before the game. And we got in the coach on the way back. And it was a Thursday night. I think it was a Thursday night for some reason. It was a playoff game. And all the Blackpool boys, basically, they were great afterwards. They said, Come come out to the come out into Blackpool with us afterwards and 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 Baz was like yeah we'll do that 
And I remember this, and I were on the coach going to this, this nightclub, and Mark's on the phone to his old man, and his old man's going, Mark, you get those boys back on that coach and you get home straight away, you know, don't hang around, get back. And, and I, even Mark just went, Dad, just fuck off. <laughs> and we, we didn't get back till six o'clock in the morning. Was know, that but, quite? But, an, um, was it quite awkward having? I mean, because Stan Flashman isn't. I mean, I know you said there might be other chairmen that have their quirks, but Stan Flashman really was, you know, quite a quite a character. Was it a difficult thing for for Mark in that group of lads when you've got that, especially when the money stops? It's got to be. You know, Mark would have been. You know, Mark was a shit goalkeeper, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think he knew that, but he. <laughs> but then again, it was his club. His dad, you know, his dad had bought the club. It was his, he, he was passionate about football, just, just as much as just the fact he couldn't play it, which is a big stumbling block. But, <laughs> but off the pitch, he was a great lad. He was one of the boys, you know, but he always had that stigma. You know, he had to say, oh, he can't say anything because, you know, Mark's here. But he didn't care. He would never get back. He wouldn't go bleeding to his old man. You know, he was one of the boys. And, you know, you've got to respect him for that. And, and you know, he gets some stick somewhere along the way. But he was actually in a position, you know, it, it was his boyhood dream to play for Barnet. Yet, because of his dad, he did. But, you know, we respected him. We didn't mind him being in goal. He was a good lad, you know. And as far as that's concerned, he, he, was, he was fine. Um, he was one of the boys. Never be, never be a footballer as long as you had a hole in his ass. But he's one of the boys. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so before it all got really quite shit um we did go up again um uh well it was around the same sort of time um before we talk about how shit it got maybe we talk a little bit about that second promotion um how much of that uh do you remember what are your recollection of that one I again I don't I, I think I was actually on loan at Wickham at that time because I was because Dan had it in for me and he's like you know and I, and I just thought no, I just want to play so I went I went and played for Wickham, but and I actually and I actually uh, uh, well, I got promoted with Wickham that year, I think, to the Football League, won the conference again, and we won the FA Trophy at Wembley, and I played in that one as well. Oh wow, it's a good so, line. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, like you say, Marshall O'Neill was fantastic, but I'm um, and I actually signed for Wickham. I actually signed for Wickham, and then. That year, Gary Phillips rang me up and said, look, we're, we're going to need a team here because everything, you know, shit hit the fan, players are leaving left, right and centre. And I actually went into Martin O'Neill and I said, do you know that contract I signed last week? I said, can I cancel it and go back? And it, it was brilliant. I said, yeah, I know you, that you love Wicket. Yeah, I know you love Barnet and that's your club. And he just said, it's fine, it's fine. You know, no fee or anything, just go. So I ended up going back to, to Barnet to, to play in that, was it Division Two at the time? Wasn't it? I was going to say yeah. So, 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 have I got this right then? So, so what you've just said there, you, you, you'd signed the, then a week later. Because when I was looking this up earlier on, it says that you joined Wickham on like I don't know the first of August or something, and then the next week you were back at Barnet. Is it? Yeah, it was that's it. a yeah. case of, of, of that was it. I mean, it's interesting. Like you use the term "shit hit the fan." It really did hit the fan uh, at that yeah. time, and, and the club, the club was in. Dire straits. Was it? Was it loyalty? Was it? What? What was it that drove you back to Barnet at that point? For was me, it, from your perspective, yeah. I was just loyalty. I just, you know, what the club had done for me, and and, and what Barry had done. Now Barry wasn't there anymore. Um, this is when obviously Gary Phillips had taken over, and I think is it David Brookler had joined the, the president. Yeah, yeah, that's it. he was okay. David was fine. 
and he brought a good backroom team in with him. But um, yeah, it was it was try. My my whole thing was, I think the club would have was pretty close to folding, eh? And we just had to put a team out to keep the club alive. And obviously they're in that. Obviously, I think it's the second division then, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. they've got and, and you know didn't want I didn't want the embarrassment of the club of not building a team. I know we lost, but if you look at that season. We lost by, I don't think, I think we lost by only more than one goal once. And all the goals are coming like the, between the 75th and 90th minute, the winning goals. I remember, uh, I think I scored two against, remember we played Cambridge? Right. Scored two against Cambridge and then we lost again in the last minute, lost 3-2. Yeah, and then we yeah, yeah. Orient, Orient away, I think we come on a sub um, and then we blew it again in the last, literally the 92nd minute or something. That was happening the whole season. That's the way, you know, we were fighting for our death. And then, and then we went to Huddersfield, which is a great one. Yeah, well, it's interesting, Jeff, because we've obviously, we'll come to probably Barnet now uh, and what it's like currently. But obviously this year, Barnet have been putting up even less of a fight or much less of a fight than, than that season in terms of their league position. And it's been, I've read sort of comments from fans online where they've said, you know, the 93-94 team were perhaps... As, as a collective, a bit out of their depth at that level of football, given the players that are at our disposal. But everyone was fighting for the shirt. Every, you know, you knew you were getting 110% from every person crossing that white line. Um, and I was actually going to ask you about that Huddersfield game. I've got the results in front of me here. That, you know, what was that feeling like after losing? I think, you know, we lost something mm-hmm. like 11 in a row in all competitions just prior yeah, I to think that. We're, we're, I think it was Manchester United's record. Was it 13 on the trot or something? It I was, think Manchester yeah. United held the records or some, some, something silly I, like that. I reckon. I reckon the the team of this season has probably had quite a crack at uh, beating that record. To be fair, oh, <laughs> well, a lot less excuse. I've got my views on that one, but, but no, the hardest the hardest field away game was such a relief. It just proved that we could do it, you know. And 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 I think we went on and drew nil nil with Cardiff the next week or whatever. I'm not quite sure how it went, but. You know, it was just keeping the club alive and that was my whole aim was to go and help Gary and the boys out that were still there to keep the club alive. Yeah, well, Huddersfield's a a name in football as well. If you're going to beat anyone, that's a good, you know, they've won the top flight in the past. You know, if you're going to to record a scalp, that's a good one to certainly tick off. And um, like you said, the the club, something that we really needed that year was a cup run. You know, any time you're ever going to need one, that season is probably the, the ideal time to have one. And obviously we did achieve that and, it led to the famous Chelsea game in, in early January '94. Now I know you weren't involved in the game, but what are your memories of, of that? Cup? Second one, I think. Right, uh, the, the the cup run and and what it did for the club at the time from someone who was on the inside. Well, I mean, what it did for, for Gary Phillips really because he got us there. You know, okay, it's, it's, you know, you, get, you always get these. Funny enough, you always get a club get to Wembley but ends up getting relegated, don't you? Yeah. Um, in the FA Cup, um, like Wigan and, and teams like that, they always end up going to Wembley, winning the cup final, but they've been relegated. So I don't know what it is about the FA Cup or something like that, but that, that year, you know, if you look at the statistics as well, we had more at our home game than Chelsea did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Both games. <laughs> um, but it was that, that, that was the sad part of the whole thing for me because between the first game and the second game, Ray Clements took over. Yeah. And I felt so sorry for Gary because he'd done such a good job. Um, and I don't think Ray made much of a difference, to be honest. He was just a figurehead to, to try and attract some players. But it wasn't any better than what we had. Uh, OK, at the end of the day, he did 
uh, after that season when we brought Dougie Friedman and players like that. And Doug, I mean, Dougie just phenomenal. And Danny Diccio and players like yeah. that. Do you remember those boys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I just felt... Um, but then again, you go back and think, you know, good fair play to Gary. He kept the club going and handed it on now, which was, which was you know, what the whole aim of it was. It, because, it really... You know, it feels like a really big moment, actually. I mean, and I can you can sort of see almost a bit of emotion from you on that moment as well, because again, you, you're one of those players that came back or stuck around. You know, there's a bit of both going on with people there, and as far as I can tell from it, it was through a loyalty to the club uh, and to some extent to uh, Barry's legacy and to Gary Phillips, who'd just taken over. Um, it felt, and I don't know if it's true, but it, it, when you look back, it feels like when Ray came in and Gary stopped doing what he was doing, that feels like a massive turning point in in Barry, basically Barry Fry's era to whatever comes after oh, that. Yeah, that, that, that's a new era, a whole new era, because at the end of the day, the, that, that whole family spirit was lost in the club. It now becomes a business, yeah, a football club. Um, now you brought David Booker in, and then obviously now Tony Cleanthor. And I'll go to Tony now, so I'm, I actually... When I'd left the club, I actually went back a couple of years later um, and I paid a visit to Underhill. And I think Bev, is it Bev Bacon? Remember Bev? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah I remember club. her, yeah. I went and said, like, yeah, yeah. Said, I'll come, come and meet Tony, the president, or chairman, whatever you call him. So I went up into the Durham Street and literally, this is my, you know, this is my impression. He came out and basically, Bev said, hi, this is Jeffrey, played for the club, you know, this, that, and the other. And he basically looked, he went, looked at the pictures and went, so what team were you in? You know, and, and I thought, you don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this is a business to you now. And that, and, that, and I, I didn't hang around with this. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was my first impression, Tony. Yeah. It's definitely a change of moment. So it's quite, so what was the point that you actually sort of hung up your boots? When did that actually happen? I, well, Ray was here, Ray was here and, I, and I was doing the football in the community, but I still, I think my last game was, Mansfield away, I think, on New Year's Day. Yeah. New Year's Eve, um, New, New Year's Eve, ninety four. Yeah, so that was my last game. But I, I'd, I'd been offered to go to come here. I, I some during my stint at stint at Barnet, and and we had a, a Kiwi player come over to play for Barnet. Paul Steffi, do you remember Paul? I don't I remember you know, the name. Anyway, he stayed with me for a while. I put him up in my house and he's going, oh, I did want to come to New Zealand. So, and, and I was going to go and play in America. I was going to go and play for Colorado. Oh, wow. But, and I had flights booked and everything. I ended up coming here. So I thought, no, I'll take the chance. And I, I'm, I was 34 at the time. So I thought I'd go and play there. So I went over and played here. And that's when I, yeah, that's when I decided that's it. I'll just go. So I, I couldn't see my future at the club anymore. You know, because Ray and, and the boy and everything was happening, and that's when I just sort of called it a day. And it was really hard. It was really sad, but it happens. It comes to us all. I mean, not only that, the linesman were overtaking me on the wing as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I was getting a bit slower. <laughs> but what happened from there? I came back after a stint here, and I ended up playing in Hong Kong for a year. Okay. So I thought it was fashionable. Oh, oh, it was great. It was, it was, I played in the, um, like I say, I went and played in the equivalent Asian Champions League in Japan. You know, it was, it was a good experience. It was brilliant. Great place, Hong Kong. 
I, I stayed there for 10 years. I stayed there, I, I stayed there for almost 10 years. And although, although I bought a house here in New Zealand, I still went backwards and forwards here. I was working in Hong Kong. Um, so, and then it wasn't until 2000, I still bought the house in 2000 and moved here permanently in 2003, something like that, 2004. So you still so, in contact yeah. with any of the guys? I mean, you mentioned a couple of the names, but is, is it still a big part for you, like that, that, that group of people? I, I, you know, every now and again, you get a text from, you know, Dave Regis, um, Gary Phillips, Hakan Hayrekin, um, Colin Payne, Derek Payne. We all keep in touch. Birthdays come up on Facebook. Yeah, we're all keeping touch. Chris, you know, Barry Fry, Christian Fry. Just, everyone just, it's, it's just little messages every now and again. But, uh, yeah, no, we all sort of keep in touch, although obviously the years and the miles have taken us apart. But those, we have, you know, we built we built a memory. That's the main thing for that club. You know, you know, unfortunately for you guys, it was before you're just before your time, and I know you're a youngster then. But uh, those days are brilliant. And like you say, if you could have taken Barry's enthusiasm and just bottled it to every manager, you know, like I say on a Saturday morning, you're see like, come on, boys, come on, boys. It's just it's like a little kid. It was, it was amazing, and yeah, that we, was the whole club. We um. I think we were fortunate enough to be around really for the 2004-2005 title winning season, obviously when we, when we got relegated back to the conference and then won that league. I think people that are around for, for both of those seasons would have a quite keenly contested debate about which side was the better one. Um, you know, We've only got video footage to go on, but I think it would be uh, comparing those two sides, it'd be a good game. If you put those two up, two up against each other, those 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 two squads. Well, oh, like, like, I think as you said earlier, the game the game went scientific. Somewhere along the way, it went scientific. So there'll be two different structures, body structures, everything, fitness levels, uh, and techniques and way you're playing. Because the tiki taki football came in and and everything. So, but but it would have been two two different levels. But it would have been a good game. I, I'd, I'd put them that, those boys up against anyone. You know, we had Man United in the pre-season game. We beat them three one. You know, they're, they're all right, they're obviously in that, but it's Man United played my Barnett for beating three one. Yeah, we we uh, we tried to play Arsenal that season pre season before and lost lost ten uh, one. So uh, yeah, le- level. Well, I've, I've, I've been following what's going on this year, and like you say, I don't know if you've been watching, seeing any of my comments on on Facebook or whatever, whatever, wherever it pops up. But I think it's sad that it comes to this, but it's football moved on and you've got to understand now that maybe that era has died uh, yeah I have very very keen like strong and very fond memories of you know playing on the King George fifth playing fields and stuff like that and doing the stuff over there on a Saturday and, morning before the game a bit, a, a bit of that but also the the ho- like the holiday camps and you know in half terms and oh, yeah. summer holidays and yeah. all that kind of stuff and um and, and that, I mean it, that was also a thing wasn't it there would be a football course for the kids before a football match on a Saturday and then go in and have something to eat and go to the game. And, and you used to run coaches to away games as well. I, you know, you, you took yeah, us to Torquay yeah. and I played on the pitch at half time and up to Wigan and, and penalty Wigan competitions. And, like that. and it, cool, it, eh? it was a, but it was in, you know, when we talk about eras changing, um, that it would be, it'd be about money now. Whereas that was about community then. And it had a, a very different feel, I That's think, right. about the way it worked. Yeah. Yeah, no, the whole thing was is, is to bring people to the club and, and, and keep people at the club. And that's my whole philosophy all the way along. Like, say, in Durham Street, give the drinks out. People, they paid their money through the gate, give them something back. You won't see that happening now. 
unfortunately. It's, and like you say, it's lost that family entity and you won't get that back, not for a long time. There's, um, there's, a cert, there's, there's something really nice about the fact that, you know, you played for the club for however many years and then transitioned into that role of, of you know, the community support thing as well. I mean, to, to compare eras, we, we've spoken on here to Giuliano Grazioli from a different successful Barnet era who had a similar phase afterwards where he, he was in the community stuff for the club as well. And when we were talking to him, we talked about Gary Phillips, obviously someone that you both know very well. And he was saying he's the sort of person who should never leave a football club in the sense yeah. that there should always be a job for someone like that at a club. And I think in the 90s when you played, uh, that was that was a thing. And I think it's a real sad, there's, it's something really sad, I think, for the average football fan that that doesn't really exist anymore. That there's that, you know, yes, you might give someone a nice little testimonial or a day to kind of celebrate them. But then once they're done as a, as a player, as something of use in that sense of the club, they do get disregarded. And I think it's really sad. And I think not just at Barnet, at lots of levels, that the fact that history is sometimes a little bit ignored and, and we move on oh, to look, it's a real sad thing. The community thing was, was fantastic. And that was, um, you know, helped with Tony Booker's wife, Tessa Bills. Remember Tessa? I don't know if you guys remember Tessa. We set it up together. I, I was actually not only doing the coaching, but I was going into local schools as well. And even for the fact, you know, you walk into McDonald's one day, and you hear the kids go, oh, this is Jeff Cooper, he's in He comes into our school. That doesn't happen anymore, eh? You know, that's, that's, that's the thing. I think I, I went back a couple of years ago, and funny enough, I went to, to walk around Barnet with um, Vanessa Hooper. I met up, we had a drink, and, uh, you know, with the Hooper family that we spoke of earlier. Anyway, so we walked around Underhill because I wanted to go and see what the club, what the ground was like, and it was because it was all boarded up and closed down. That's the saddest day of my life to yeah. see the ground like that. Yeah. You know, it, and, and we walked around and it was a cold, like a wintry morning. I can't remember what time it was, but, but it was just actually the, the weather summed up the atmosphere of the whole club. And, you know, to walk down Western Drive and walk around it and see the whole place as it was was so upsetting. To think, yeah. you know, that's when it hit home. You think, oh my God, this is what it's come to. This is what's happened. And, it's never going to come back. Yeah, we've we've described on this podcast a few times about the. I suppose you would describe it as a bit of a void when you go down past through Barnet, uh, whatever whatever way you used to approach the ground. If you used to come down Barnet Hill or come from the other direction, come from Barnet Lane, you don't see what used to be there. And obviously, we've got a connection to the club from the terraces. You've got a huge connection to the club, obviously having been a player that's represented this over well over a hundred times two promotions with the club and all the rest of it. It's, I think it's something we all feel, isn't it? In the sense that there's something, yeah. something a little bit missing from the club that, that used to be there. And it, I, I think it's, I don't know if you would have been to the hive at all. Um, obviously you said that we, oh, used to we used to, tra- we used to train there, but I don't know if you've seen the new facility, uh, but obviously there's a little bit of an identity crisis with the football club at that place. And it feels like a lot of clubs probably go through that sort of thing now as well. Oh, you look at Brighton now with the Amex Stadium. It's a lovely stadium, but it's nowhere near Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and other clubs as well. It's, it, it's sad that the, the history... But I suppose you've got to make history again. You know what I mean? You've got to, yeah. It's got to start again somewhere. But for Barnet, it's going to be a massive job. I mean, to be fair to Tony, he saved the club. He, he, you know, his, his finances have saved the club. And my, my gripe is don't get him out because... There's obviously something there, but let him hand the football side over to someone who wants to run the club and try 
at least try and get it back to something of a community and family club um, with a support base. You know, that, you know, I can't ever see in the hive being full unless you get drawn against bloody um, Arsenal in the FA Cup or something like that. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it, it, it's sad because the whole place looks soulless. One of the big things that strikes me, especially talking to you, Jeff, and so we, we've talked to a lot of the people that, that won the league in 94, 95, but we, this is, a, again, a different era. And it definitely is a different feel to the way you talk about it, to even the way that they talk about it. And probably some of that reflects the way that football moves. But when you talk about Barnet in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, that kind of era, it does really feel like a very clear identity of what the club was in your head, a very clear set of values and standards for what was expected. There was, if you like, in inverted commas, a Barnet way um, of doing things. It might not have been conventional. It might not have always been great, but there was a Barnet way. Um, and, and this sort of brings us on to the present day where I, I'm not sure there is one uh, in the same way that there, there was then. You know, you, you go back to the... To, to, oh, I'm going back to... Do you know what? The day the club died was the day they got relegated from the Football League. Because all the hard which, work we've done... Which time? A hundred of... <laughs> why, um, no, no, sorry. The Torquay. first time. The first Torquay. time. Torquay. So that, that, should, that, where, that should never have happened. Never have happened. Because that's where all the trouble started now. You can't go bouncing up and down the way you have. Um, you know, we've taken oh, however many years, 100 years to get into the Football League, for example. And then eight years later, back down again. You know, that should never have happened. That's the biggest disappointment to me was that game. I'm, I was literally, I was listening to that game live in Hong Kong. Was it two all? No, it was three two lost. Oh, okay. Um, I was listening to that game and, and like I say, I, I remember because it was quite late at night and, and um, I was so upset when I went to bed. It was just, oh my God. And uh, even then I was like, what's just happened? You know, because I felt I'd lost my era. Do you know what I mean? Like we'd, spent so much well I, the club had spent so long trying to get into the football league we'd done it and I felt like for all these borders and thinking what my baby's thinking what you know what what what's just happened and that to me is the day the club died well I think if I forget the dates right I think the Friday before the Saturday so the day before was 10 years uh, to the day since you guys took us up the first time so it, it was right. you know and if I remember rightly I think there was Steve Percy and a a group of, of similar-minded people uh, went out for a drink that Friday night to to celebrate and to mark the occasion. And then, yeah, as you say, um, the, the beginning of down. what... Yeah, and then we went down the day after, yeah. Yeah. And, and that happens in football, but I don't know what happened. It, it, it should never it should never have left... Uh, again, moving away from Underhill, I don't know the reasons why. I don't know why. Um, I don't think the hybrid solution why all that way it just doesn't make sense what's your view on on you know if you if you, someone said to you right jeff we've got to fix this uh what would you what, what would you do i'd go back and knock the school down and build under, under hill again. <laughs> 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 no i seriously it, it, it all comes down to money these days isn't it and like you say you you definitely want to look for somewhere i mean i don't know why they didn't develop you know where they've got all the astroturf pitches behind where Underhill that should yeah. be well, that, that, there was a, that was the original original proposal. One of the proposals in the early 2000s was South Underhill, which would have been perfect. Yeah, the only other way is Barnet 2021. Start another club and do a Wimbledon, whatever. I don't know. That, 
it, that's the big thing. Have you still um, got your boots, Jeff? <laughs> no. Um, no, it hurts to play now. <laughs> but, but it hurts to watch now. To be it, it does. It's, it, it's sad when I, you know, I get up in the, in the morning, I see the results that have come through. And, you know, fair play to the, to the boys that have taken over now. But, you know, that usually happens. That looks, you know, if I was there now, my target would be to get out of that bottom three, even though there's no relegation. Set them a target. You know, there's eight or nine games left, whatever there's left. Let's try and get out of that bottom three or get as close as we can to give us a gauge for next season. Um, because what I'm looking at now, they've got loan players who aren't going to be there next season. You know, that's, that's the worry. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, you know, everyone goes on about Tony. I think the only thing he can do is done a, he's done a job. He's kept the club alive. But maybe he, he hates, for some reason, he hates this era, my era. He hates talking about it. He doesn't want anything to do about it. He doesn't want anything to do about anyone who had anything to do with that era. But it's still a people's football club that he needs to, needs to survive. And, and he needs to hand it, you know, my, my opinion, just hand it to someone who, like a director of football, who will do that to keep the club alive. And then he can go and run his weddings and his whatever else he does at that, at that venue. Yeah. <laughs> You even mentioned that the idea of having someone like Gary Phillips, if I remember rightly, you know, the idea of having Gary around the club again. Um, I, don't, I don't know, is that something you've talked to him about or is that just a kind of fan from afar? No, I, I, I've got mate, I've got, the, thing, the thing is, I, from being so far away, I mean, I'd love, you know, I'd, I'd love to do it myself. You know, you put your hat in the frame and how many years. But I, I believe he's applied a couple of times and they've just thrown it out. Uh, and, and I feel sorry for him because there's no point in him going there if he hasn't got the support. But the club needs someone like Gary Phillips, someone who's actually, who knows what, I mean, he was at Barnet even before I was, you know, years ago. And he's, he's just a, a club legend who the club needs. I've got to, I, no, I will say it, the club needs someone like him. Uh, we've, we've, talk, we've, we've talked about it with, with a few different guests we've had on about the importance of people having that kind of Barnet DNA, especially maybe in the, the new Barnet football club, if it's going to work in that, new guys and, uh, and obviously we had a bit of a flicker last year where Darren Curry was the manager who was a bit after you but yeah. was a very popular Underhill player and definitely got a few fans back perhaps and, and it feels like a lot of the good work of that was undone in the last 12 months or so um, and it's just yeah it's, I suppose it's whether the right person from that time could fit the profile it's, it's a different well, there's one there's got to be a mix of the DNA you've got to take that base that we've had and still use it you, you know you can't just cut everything off and what we go, and that's what happened against Torquay. You know that when that 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 day, it's just I don't know the solution. I think you know, can only are we dwelling on the past too much? I don't know, but there's still something there that can be used going forward. You can't just turn your back on it. That's that's yeah. that's my opinion. Yeah, you're right. Tony for keeping the club going, but maybe his stubbornness is also holding him back. I think I think you're right. I think there's a balance to be struck, isn't there? Because you know, yeah. there, there there might be people like that us that are maybe, uh, you could say that we're maybe a little bit stuck in the past with our sort of nostalgia, our, our, our nostalgia towards Underhill and everything else. But to completely go the other way and seemingly not acknowledge it in the way that is being done at the moment, you know, a, a you know, a, a display in the bar is not really going to cut it in terms of acknowledging the club's history. Yeah. 
there's definitely a balance to be struck in terms of you know this is what we think the future is for Barney Football Club, but we've got to acknowledge there's a hundred over a hundred years of history at Underhill. It's very important to a lot of people who support Barney Football Club. Um, and until that balance is struck and things are done properly off and on the pitch, it doesn't feel like the club's going anywhere, to be perfectly honest. No, I mean, uh, you, you look at, uh, again, I can only compare, like, you look at Wickham Wanderers, okay? They went to a new ground. They just in Wickham, maybe just a little bit outside, but still local to, to them. Um, but they, they're forever celebrating their older players. You know, because they got the facility. You know, when was the last time put up, Tony put on a Lester Finch celebration? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Or a, a, a Ricky George celebration? You know, we're here to celebrate Ricky George's whatever. I understand those people were part of the club. But because you're, it's so far out, who's going to want to go there anyway? <laughs> you're, you're the second, second person we've had on, uh, Jeff, who said that because we had... Lee Harrison, who's, again, real long-term servant of the club, again, a bit after you, goalkeeper, who is now back at Wickham, actually, as a goalkeeper coach, which is great to see him doing well. And he said literally almost word for word that he's had experience with the two clubs, Barnet and Wickham, who were kind of coming up at the same time, I guess, in that late 80s, early 90s. And he said that they have a a big tent outside the ground where every week there's an ex-player in there telling stories, a bit like we're doing now, about, you know, what, what does that take? It's nothing, but it, but it acknowledges yeah. the past, and, and I think there is a denial of some of the history that goes on with Barnet uh, since the yeah, move. Yeah, like because... doesn't want to know anything before ninety-five, you know, anything or, or ninety. He doesn't want to know anything about that. Well, and that, arguably two thousand yeah, two thousand thirteen is his cut off point. I think post, po- yeah, yeah, but even post Underhill, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of recognition yeah. of anything now that went on there yeah. because it's almost like this new, new era, new time, and. You know, yeah, people people want that. That's that's how we've made a semi-successful podcast because people like to to come back and look back at those good times. Yeah. I think denying it doesn't help at all. Um, well, look, Jeff, thank you so much for your time this evening. We've really enjoyed uh, learning a bit for ourselves about what the era was like in the early nineties, and I'm sure our listeners will have fully enjoyed the stories as well. Good luck, obviously, on all your endeavours over the other side of the world in New Zealand. And whenever you are back in, in Barnet or Harrow or wherever it may be, we'd love to buy you a pint uh, again. So thank you for your time. Well, hopefully that will come true soon. Um, listen, guys, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's nice to be heard. You know, I've been sitting here frustrated for so long. Um, but I'd love to do this again sometime. So please don't be strangers and invite me again. I'd love it. Take Robinson on. He's <laughs>